Good morning, Compass Bible Church. It's great to be with you again. Uh, we are uh, looking at the last day of January and uh, getting into this new year. I hope it's gone well for you. I hope it's gone better than the last year did. <sighs> I hope so. <laughs> yes. You know, I would like uh, us to kind of give me a little bit of feedback here. Um, we've been having some great sermons, haven't we, over the last few weeks? Talking about individuals in the Bible that have had to deal with really tough things, and how do they do it? How do they move from where they were to where God wants to take them? And I think that's what we want to really look at today with this particular person we're going to do. I'm going to continue this idea, and I want us to, now we're going to be talking about Fear. Oh, fear. Tell me some things. Just yell out some things you're afraid of. Fires. Fires. Fighters. Oh. Spiders. 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 Yes. Sorry, the hearing's not going so well. God. God. That's a pretty good person to be afraid of. In an appropriate way, right? What else? Snakes. Financial failure. Financial failure. Mm, that's a biggie. Kids straying away from the Lord. Kids straying away from the Lord. Does that bring fear to your heart? <laughs> yeah. If your loved one leaving you, that's very sad. Yes. Oh, yes. How, how, how do I go day to day in this big change in my life? Yeah. Yes. Boy, I'm hearing some good answers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want to share with you um, today, we're going to be talking about Gideon, and we're going to be spending a lot of time with that, but I'm also going to share with you a little bit of a testimony of myself. And an area in my life, when I look back, uh, where I was really afraid. And uh, so we're going to go all the way back to the first week of June 1980. Okay, first week of June 1980. Those of you that are old enough to remember uh, 1980, uh, some of you, most of you, I think, in here, probably. So uh, I had just been about a week after I had graduated from high school. And I was going to college, and uh, it was kind of this, you know, you know how that is when you graduate from high school. It's, it's, it's passage like a, you know, you're going into a new season in your life. And for, for a couple of months before the end of my senior year, my, my high school um, uh, teacher, my uh, uh, Sunday school teacher, high school, the high school group, he, he said, I want you to do this thing. Uh, we're going to go for a week in June. We're going to go to the San Juan Mountains, and we're going to... This is called the Wilderness Ranch. And it's a, basically, it's a, it's a ranch that, that Young Life had, had uh, put together. And uh, it said, this is going to be a ride of, this is going to, it's going to change your life forever. And, and you know, I, hey, I'm all, I'm all into changing my life forever. So uh, that's, a good, that's a good thing. So I, I said, okay. So, so it's going to cost about $136. For the week, <laughs> that's not going to be the case nowadays, right? 
probably more like $1,000 uh, for the week. But uh, so I went, uh, and uh, I thought, okay, I saved everything up. I didn't, uh, didn't get any help from mom and dad. This was all me. It was all the money that I had been making all year and had been saving up and put it into this. And I went, and I had some friends uh, from the group that went, a couple of people that had already been in the college-age group, and then, and then we had a couple of guides, and that was, what it, that was our situation. So we went there. And uh, before we even had a chance, it's a beautiful Creed, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's at the... Uh, it's right kind of central Colorado, uh, a little bit south. Uh, and it's the San Juan Mountains. It's on the backside of the, of the, of the mountains that, that, are, um, that you go when you go to Durango and you take that million-dollar highway and you go up to Uray. It's on the backside of that. So we, so we went. Uh, so we're there, and we got there, a long drive, and we got there. And before we even put anything away, so we meet our guides. We say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you a stress test. Stress test. Okay, what, what would that be? So we go, we're going over there, and we see another group that's already doing their stress test, okay? And it's one of those kind of circles. It's a trust circle. You know, have you ever done that where, they, where they, uh, you're standing, and they're below you? They're, you're standing on a table or something. You're standing on a rock. It was, it was you know, pretty, pretty high, you know. And so it's standing rock, and, of course, you fall backwards, and they're supposed to catch you. And they, and they would just rotate that through, right? Okay, that was their stress. I thought... Well, I'm not really crazy about that, but I, I could probably do that. So we get back, and, and uh, he says, well, that's the other group. That's not, that's not your stress test. This is your stress test over here. <laughs> have you ever been to the uh, castles and coasters where they have the little rock, the, the little the, the, the rope thing outside? They've, they've, they've kind of added that to it they, where you're up and you're walking along the ropes along the top and things like that. Uh, well, this was like a... <laughs> um, kind of put together kind of version of that, okay? There was, you had, to walk up a, you had to walk up a log that was about this wide, and it goes up like this, and you had to go uh, to, and then you're, you're walking on ropes, and you're going this thing, and you're about 40 feet up in the air. I am afraid of heights, okay? And I saw this thing, and I said, no way am I doing this. And they said, this is the stress test. You're, you know, I mean, this is, this is how we know what you can handle, Okay? Okay, so I did it, and I'm holding on to this thing, and I'm walking up this log, and I'm up there, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm just petrified. I am just scared to death, and I'm going along, and of course, guess what? The only way you're going to be able to get off of this thing is to take the zip line down to the bottom, okay? Zip line. I was like, no way do I want to do a zip line, but I'm up here. I got to do it, you know? I have to do it, so... I'm there, and I get it, and I'm holding onto the zipline, and I go down, and actually the zipline wasn't too bad, considering I knew I was leaving that, and I was getting back down on the ground. That's probably why. So I'm here, and I'm down, and I get off of there, and that's the stress. So I got an A-plus in stress, I tell you. I passed the stress test, and I did it. So we get going, and we're walking, or we, we get on the first day, and we're hiking, and we get there, and uh, we all, we're starting to go up in elevation second day. Okay, so we're up uh, above the uh, timber line now. Okay, we're up uh, about 11,000 feet. And it's late June, and in the San Juan Mountains, late June still has snow on them. Okay, so we're walking in, and, and I had come to understand that the boots I had on my hiking boots were about five years old, and had, you know, I had used them for various reasons, and their tread was like that deep. Okay. So I'm going, and I'm finding that I'm having difficulty with my footing, okay? 
Uh, it's snow, but it's very wet snow, and it's not very stable, okay? So I am going, and we are walking along this incline about like this, and, uh, and we're walking along it and in the snow, okay, along, along this edge. And, and so I, I'm walking, and I have the guide in front of me. Well, lo and behold, I put my foot down, and I went. And I went going down, and I sliding down the mountain. I probably slid about 30 to 40 feet down the mountain. Before I had a chance to know it, I reached out, and I grabbed the guide, and I pulled him down with me, okay? <laughs> so I'm pulling the guide down with me. We're all going, we're both going down together. I, he, but, you know, he's a guy. He, he's had this happen, I'm sure, before. So he has, he has one of those, uh, it's like a pickaxe, but it has an axe on one end, and it has the pickaxe on the other. So he goes like this, and he just goes, whap, and we stop, Okay. And he's, you know, and so I don't even hardly know what happened to me, okay? So he's getting me back up, and we're going back up. He says, I want you to take every step you take into my step. Just, I will, I will, set, I will set the step for you. You just walk in my footsteps. And that's what I did. And I got up, and we were able to get to the camp. Well, we get to the camp, and I am just, you know, I'm still pretty shook up. And I go, um, and I'm sitting down, and, I, and we're, we're at the camp, and I'm going, this is Tuesday. I'm never going to get through this week. I'm just never going to get through this week. And I remember the, past, the, the pastor that was with us, the youth pastor, and he kind of said, how are you doing? And I said, not, not good. And he said, he said, I get that. He says, God brought you to this place, and God is going to take you from this place, and he's going to take you where you need to go. You just stay with us. We're going to be with you. We're going to support you, and you're going to get through this. So I go, Okay. And I'm going to stop that story right there, as nice as that story is, because I want to get into Gideon. But I'm going to come back to it, and I'm going to, I'm going to get to the point where um, that's just the beginning of the fear. And that's the, the, the big parts at the end. So I want to, um, I just want us to pray. We're going to be talking about Gideon, and I want to set that up after we pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I don't know, we put up the Swindoll quote. I saw this, it came across my Facebook page, and I thought, this was really going to be really good for what I'm talking about today. We are all faced with a series of opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Isn't that a great quote? It, it, it's such a positive way of looking at the things that happen to us that we don't know what to do with. And God has disguised them that way so that he can bring about what he wants to do and he can get all the glory. Isn't that, isn't that the way it's supposed to go, right? So he's, so this is a really great quote, quote and I, I want to kind of set up this Gideon story. For those of you that maybe don't know about Gideon, or have heard, you, know, you know about the Gideon Bibles and everything like that, well, this Gideon is, um, is from, the, from the tribe of uh, Ephraim, and he, uh, he has been, um, during this period of time, the Israelites have come under a great, Oppression, and we're going to get into that. We, 
the time uh, God, okay, Moses and Joshua. Joshua drives, you know, leads them into the promised land. They are there. You know, they've had all these great things happen to them. It's, it's now been a, a certain period of time, a couple of generations after that. And the people have forgotten uh, how they got there. They are in the midst of all these other people groups that they have not driven out. And uh, they start to fall into these areas of temptation that they're doing. And so they, they are, they are, uh, God takes uh, these nations and uses them to oppress the Israelites so that they will turn to God. Over a period of time, they do. God raises up a judge. And that's what it's called the book of Judges. Is, is the, these judges are not, um, it's not like a judge would be in a courtroom. These are, this is basically the word is deliverer. They are delivering the people. And so he brings up these judges, and there's a number of different ones. And there's been six judges that have come up and done certain things, and I believe Gideon will become the seventh judge. Okay? And the judge, for the period of time that the judge rules and, 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 you know, and, and kind of frees the people, delivers the people, for the period of time that he's alive, peace and prosperity reign in the country. And when the, when the judge dies... Then the other things start coming back in again. And it's just this cycle. It's a continuous cycle that goes through the whole book of Judges. And this is about 350 years that they do this. And, they're, they're, and so this is where we come in with the story. Now, we look here uh, at Judges, Faith Over Fear. Uh, the next slide, Big Fear, Little Faith. I want us to think of Gideon's walk and Gideon's pathway from where he goes, where he starts, to where he finishes. And I kind, of, I kind of visualize this as like three different islands. So we got the island over here is the island of big fear. <laughs> okay, little faith. It's a big island, <laughs> okay? There's a lot of people on this island. And, and, and Gideon is one of them, right? So, he's, so he is, uh, he's on this island and here we go, uh, Judges 6 and 7. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, Midian was uh, way, way back was the, was the land where Moses went to, and of course, he married uh, someone out of there, and so they used to have a pretty good relationship, but over the years, Midian had, had they, they, they certainly had separated a lot, and Midian now has this opportunity to kind of oppress, and they're raiders. They would come in, if you, if you think of, of, of just uh, they're growing the crops and these guys just come in and just steal it, okay? And they do this, to, they just do this throughout the whole nation and the nation is impoverished. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. They left their promised land and they went. The Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. Gaza was way south in the, with the Philistine country, so it was the entire country. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare, so Israel was reduced to starvation." By the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. You put it in today's context. If you, the fear that they would have 
is like, you know, if, you're, if you live in a, in a fairly high crime area and, uh, you know, and you've got, and you never know from day to day who's going to come into your house or who's going to do that, and you're just living in that constant state of apprehension and fear for seven years. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. A wine press was in usually a lower area where they were where you keep where you keep the wine, and it's in kind of more more like a pit area. You would not thresh grain there. You would thresh grain out in the open because you're throwing the grain up in the wind with low. So he's trying to do this down in the pit because he doesn't want to get discovered. He's hiding, okay? So um, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, this is probably a pretty hilarious scene because he's not a mighty hero. He's hiding in the basement or whatever. He's hiding in the, the, the... the place. And I just, I see, this is such a great place. He is on this big island of fear. And now he's, he's going to go, oh, <laughs> really? Okay. So he, he, he comes into this and he goes, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So he's complaining to this person about the things that are going on. I don't know if there was a, was there a one, that, was there a quote before that? Go back one and see if, if that's there. No, okay. All right, I want you to think of this. There's going to be several of these that come up. Okay, uh, this, but, but one, our first quote that I want to do is that God does not call the brave. He makes brave those he calls. We think of fear and courage as opposite ends, right? And God has a very different way of looking at it because he takes he, he knows, the, you know, what I think of people that have a lot of courage, I think a lot of times it's just, they're just, they don't, they're, they're kind of risk averse or whatever. They don't, they don't have a sense of, they could just go into whatever and they don't really think about the risk and, and, and of all of that. That's not always the case. But, but I, I think it's, I think sometimes we think those are the really brave ones and if I'm not that way, then I'm not brave. And I think God has a little bit different idea about that. So God doesn't really answer Gideon's little complaint have you noticed that? Just, when we complain, a lot of times he doesn't, he doesn't mind at all when we complain, but he's not going to enter into it. He doesn't have to enter into it. He's God. So he's going to give us a... So he doesn't really enter into that. He, he just basically goes back to his first statement and kind of restates it. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am... You know that? I am? I am that I am. I am sending you. Have you ever been asked to do something you were petrified to do? He's being asked to do something that there's just, he, 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 he cannot get his mind out of it. He's on the big island of fear over here, and the, where he's got to go is way over there, and, and he just can't, he can't get there. He can't get there yet.
I, I, this, is a, this is an interesting question because this is a very similar kind of conversation that God had with Moses, right? If you remember, God asked Moses, you know, at the burning bush. He asked him to do this, uh, you know, go this. And Moses is coming up with all these reasons, all these excuses, right? This is something kind of similar here with Gideon. We find that that's it. So maybe, you know, I know sometimes, you know, when we have our small group, we, we, we take questions of, from the sermon and we kind of mull them over and we talk about them in our small group. So if you go at lunch today, this would be a good, pretty good question, I think. Compare Moses' calling to Gideon. Which do you think would be the hardest to obey? That would be a really interesting question. Because they're asking similar things, but not quite the same. Okay? Not quite the same. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's uh, it'd be a good, I just think it would be a good question to mull over. Okay, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I said Ephraim. I guess I was wrong. He's from the tribe of Manasseh, okay? And I am the least in my entire family, okay? So it's like he's a nobody clan from what they consider the powerful people there. And he's the lowest of the the household, okay? He's just like, I got got nothing to, to contribute to this. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. I will be with you. This is the statement. If we go through, if we go through the Bible and we would look up all of the situations of fear, I think you would find that this is, his, this is God's one-line answer for fear anywhere in the Bible. I will be with you. I will be with you. When we're in the midst of the fears of wherever we're at and whatever we're dealing with, if we could remember that one line, I will be with you, it would help a lot. I think it would take us. It would, it would, that's the peace of God that transcends all understanding that comes into our hearts during those times. And you will destroy the Midianites if you were, as if you were fighting against one man. It was like, they're not 100,000 Midianites or with the other Malachites and all the otherites that are with them. You're, you're not 100,000. It's like one man. It's like if you just went and just, you know, you had a group of people and just took care of one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away till I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat with a basket of flour. So, so certainly he's got an idea. Uh, this, is not, uh, this is not my neighbor off the street that just came in. There's something different about this person because he's talking to me in ways nobody talks to me. And I got to figure this out. So he's going in and he's getting all this together. He wants to, he wants to get a deeper sense of, of who this person is. Uh, flour, he baked some bread without yeast, then carrying the meat in the basket and broth in the pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. And the, the angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told, and the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff of his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Uh, yeah, this is not my normal. This is not my neighbor. Okay, 
No, I think it's really that when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, not only am I in my situation, now I've seen an angel of the Lord. I'm really in big trouble. So he is really stuck on this island, okay? It's all right, the Lord replied. So now he's hearing, now the Lord is actually speaking to him, not the angel anymore. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Isn't that great? He's taking this, this idea, I am now having Yahweh speaking to me his peace. I'm going to build this altar, and I'm going, to, I'm going to erect this altar there. So he's got to get off of this island. God's got to get him way over there, and he's got to get him off this island. And so we have a little transitional bridge from this island to the middle island, and there's going to be another bridge from that island to the island where he wants to take him. And so these transitional bridges are tests. It's a test, a stress test, if you want to say, if you want to say right? It's a test that is appropriate to where his faith is. It's not too much of a test. It's not too little of a test, probably a little bit higher than he would be comfortable with, clearly, but it's a test. So it's going to be a way to get him to this middle island, Okay. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull. This, here's, so here's, here's the transition. Here's the test. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary where the Baal one was. Okay. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using the fuel, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you just cut down. So you're going to burn up the bull, and that's your fuel to give this offering to me. So it's a test. Okay, and we find out why that's so difficult. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Okay. This is not an easy thing to do. This, this, Israel had steeped itself into this apostasy of this idolatry so deeply that you were the one that was in trouble if you did something to it. Are we kind of feeling that way now a little bit more than we used to? So um, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the altar of pole. But Joash, the dad, hey, dad comes to the rescue. Okay. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubal. 
which means let Baal defend himself. I, I, I was, as I was studying this, it's really basically Baal tail whipper is, 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 is a lot of what it is. Kicking Baal's tail, okay, in a sense. He, so he has, has put himself now, he's used that, he's gone in obedience, he did what he was asked to do, his God provided his father to be that support to him, and now he is not only in a different place, but he has a different name. And it's a name that kind of uh, gives him a sense of power, a sense of, you know, um, hey, I got some people. I, you know, I've made a difference. I'm not, I'm not as insignificant anymore. I'm here on this, in this place. So obedience is more important to God than bravado. Obedience is more important to God than bravado. The obedience that gets him from there to here is what God wants to is got what God wants to see, and He wants that to be demonstrated. God doesn't appoint the equipped, but He equips those He appointed. Hebrews thirteen five: I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is another one of those. Again, He's just with. It's this idea, God is with him, and he's starting to see this. He's starting to understand this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that's an area of fear that you guys are dealing with. That's talking about. So, the antidote. We have a, we have a new shot, right, to take care of this COVID. The antidote, right? The antidote to fear is not courage. The antidote is trust in God. If you're waiting around until you're courageous about something, (laughs) you might be waiting a long time. And God wants to use you now. So God says, trust in me, Put your faith in me and what I can do, how I can protect, how I can equip, how I can move you forward. Trust that, and I will do it. So now here we are, number two. We're in the middle island. He has moved to this island. Moderate fear, moderate faith. Got a little bit of each now, okay? He's moving that way. So Gideon asked for a sign. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian... Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Okay, he's, get, he's got a better sense. He is getting, he is able to get this coalition of all of these tribes and get them together and pull this together. God is really working in him. He's doing some good things. He blew a ram's horn to call uh, as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Whew. Oh, that's somebody with getting a little bit of influence, right? <coughs> then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. Okay? So he's, he's getting some uh, pretty good amount of faith, but he's still got a little bit of this fear still going on, right? I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. 
Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Of course, this is a, the, the, when we say we're putting out a fleece. That's this phrase that you use. That's the course that comes from this story. Um, I think we do that a lot in our lives, don't we? We take a, we take a situation we say, you know what? If I, if I do this, I'll know, or I'll know, I'll know that you want me to do this if I do this, you know. And uh, we can look back in our life and I'm sure find many different places of that. Um, I, want, I want us to try to think, a lot of times he gets kind of a bum rap, I think, Gideon, for this. Um, I'm not so much, because uh, uh, you shouldn't test God that way. And it's probably true. I don't think he was using this as testing God so much as asking a question. Are you on my side? Are you on my side? Because I'm going to take a really big step here to get to this island. And if you aren't on my side, I'm not going to make it. I think, I think God really, you know, he obviously answered. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, I'm God. You don't need any more, uh, you know, hey, I am who I am. Just do it. He didn't say that. And he honored these questions, I think, in his heart and allowed him to start to move to the transition. We think about a fleece. In his particular case, he's using it as a way to know, is God really for me? And I think that in a lot of cases, God has the cross. We have the cross as our fleece. And what I mean by that is that the cross is what, is, is what we ask, how can I have a relationship with you, God? I can't without the cross. The cross is what makes that possible. And so God says, I want to have this relationship with you. The only way it can happen is if I die on this cross for you. And that's the thing that, that, that tells us that God is on our side. It's, it's, it's a very big thing that he did. 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God loves us not so much that he has this beautiful affection for us. He does. He loves us because of what he did for us. Dying on that cross was a way of showing perfect love. And that's what casts out fear. Not that we are going to have all the, just the great feelings inside. It's actions that, that God took that made that possible. Okay. We come to this next transitional bridge. Now we're on, now we're going to try to get to this other island, the island where God wants him to be, right? So uh, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. You see, you've got to remember, this is a generation that had not experienced the falling down of the walls of Jericho had not experienced the crossing of the Jordan, 
had not experienced all the things that happened in the wandering of the Israelites and all the things that they saw and the ways that God worked. The crossing of the Red Sea, giving, you know, all of that. They had not had that experience. And if they do this, they, they don't know that, that God is really doing it. And God wants them to get this. He wants them to get this idea. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. I think this is so great. This is so typical. You know, it's like, oh, no, let's go. We're going to go. Oh, I can go home? Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's just really, it's really interesting. And, of course, at 32,000, he was still down three to one. He was still outnumbered three to one. Okay, now he's outnumbered ten to one. Okay. And you might think, well, it's better to have, it's better to have 10,000 really ready to go into this than to have 32,000 where two-thirds of them are not really in the fight. You could, you could maybe go there, but God's not done. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Of course, there's a lot of things that say, you know, if you're, if you're on your knee and you cup your, your uh, you know, where this, it could be true. I think it's just he wanted 300. <laughs> and that was the way he was going to get 300 people. So now you've gone from 32,000 down to 300. So now you're outnumbered 300 to 1. Okay. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 with him. So now he's got this. Um, so we'll go to the next slide. Okay, it wasn't, wasn't put up there. Uh, when God wants to use us, he first has to weaken us. When God wants to use us, he first has to weaken us. Now we're ready for part two of, of my little testimony. So we have uh, gotten through the day, and we had some really good experiences on this wilderness ranch trip. I, you know, the, the, the connections that we made and, and the way we pulled together as a group, you know, to support each other, uh, you, know, long, you know, walking hard, you know, long, long hikes, and just encouraging each other to get to, get to where we need to get. Um, Wednesday night, Wednesday night we were still high enough uh, in the week uh, where we actually did our camp on top of a stream. There was about this much ice over the, over the water of the, of the little stream that was there. And so we did a camp, so I did my tent right on top of it. So when I'm listening, I can hear the water gurgling underneath me. It's really, really a very odd experience, actually. But it was kind of cool. Well, uh, of course, we were told earlier in the week that uh, that Friday of that week, we would be doing rock climbing and rappelling. For those of you that have ever done that, you probably kind of have an idea of what that's like. And, of course, I'm just 
I'm not going there at all. I'm trying to just pretend it never even came up, and I am just going along with it, and I don't even want to think about it. And, uh, okay, so we get to Thursday, and we get to the camp Thursday night. He says, we're not going to camp together. We're going to all, you're going to go out on your own. You're just going to go out. You are not going to be together. We don't need a campfire. We're down low enough. It's not as cold. Just go. You're going to go by yourself, and you're going to have some time with God. I tell you what, I got there. I have never prayed so much in my life. <laughs> I was praying, God, rain. Please rain. Because he said, they said if it rains, it's too slippery. You can't do it. God, please rain. Please, please rain. And I, I, I don't know how long I prayed. I fell asleep, but I was just over. I just said, please, please, God, do this for me. Please, please. This was God's weakening me. This was God's way of getting me ready for the next day. So, I, so we get there, and of course we go, it's a 100-foot cliff. Okay. And we're supposed to rock climb up and then rappel down. Okay. So I couldn't do the rock climbing up. I, get, I, get up, I got up about, I get up about four or five feet, and it's just too hard. I don't have the upper, uh, upper body strength to just do it. I just couldn't do it. So I come down, and I'm watching some more go up, and I'm just really defeated. I just think, I just, I'm just really, and I, I, I'm, I'm humiliated that I can't do it. I just, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all these things, right? And so uh, a couple of them go up. But, well, after all of the ones that couldn't do it tried, and, and some of the girls couldn't do it either. But I, I you know, he said, there's a, there's a path over here. Go up that path and get up to the top. Of course, they weren't going to tell us that before. They wanted us to do it first to try it, or everybody would go up the path, right? So, um, so that, and the path was steep, but it was very doable. So we got up to the top. And, uh, of course, I was able to walk, watch people at the top and, and start to rappel down. And, of course, you, you see them, and they're facing you, and pretty soon they don't see you. don't see them anymore. And so I'm going, oh, gosh, what is my turn? I don't know. I don't want to know. So I'm there, and I'm, I'm just really I'm not, not good. Well, you know, if you... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do this in a, in a way, in a short amount of time to, to describe this. If you've never rappelled before, and they may have a lot of different equipment nowadays, but back then, it was you have a carabiner here, and that's, that's what you can, can, you can stop yourself that way. And you use the rope that's here, and you pull it. The, 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 the more that the rope is down this way that the rope come, comes through, the faster down you'll go. And the and the higher up you hold the rope, the slower you go. Well, I'm up here, right? Okay. I'm just up here, and I'm going back, and I'm doing it, but I'm doing it, but I'm just going. I'm just inching down. I mean, just barely, and I'm going as slow as I can possibly go. So I get down about 30 feet. And, of course, my feet, I'm, I'm you know, my feet are this way. I'm, I'm back, the cliff is here, and I'm, I have my feet against it, right? And I'm walking down, okay? And so I get that to that point, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I stop. And I can't move. And it's not because I'm holding it with the carabiner. It's because something is holding the rope, okay? The rope got caught. And so uh, I say, hey, something's wrong with my rope. Something's wrong with my rope. And they, they said, well, uh, I, I can't get to it. If you, if you take your feet off and drop them, there's a little, there was a little uh, ledge that stuck up. So the cliff, there was another outcrop of rock that came up like this. And that was very close to it, but separated from it. And it's about this wide, Okay. So you're going to go put your feet on that, get down there and go on that, and then you have to walk down to the side because it's, it's hooked over here somewhere, and you got to walk, and you got to do that. So 
here I am doing this. I'm 60 feet up in the air. I'm trying to do this. And, I'm, and, I, and I just go like this. It's, I must have looked hilarious. But, but yeah, I finally got it free. And I got down, and I got down to the bottom. I did it. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a crazy thing. And, of course, then, you know, everybody, everybody's down. Everybody's, whoo, everybody's over the wall. Yeah, you did it, you did it, you did it. You know, they're, they're really great. And, and uh, so, you know, we get there, and, and, you know, they feed us, and we get back to the main, the main camp where, where we started. And we have a great story about the transfiguration and the mountaintop experience, and that's what we're feeling. I mean, I'm feeling so high <laughs> spiritually because of two reasons. One is I am glad this week is over. <laughs> and the other reason is I did it. But I actually did it. And that's, that's the life-changing thing. And that's, that's, that's what happened. So, um, so here we are. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, so he's on this transitional bridge. He's just about ready to go over here. But if you, are, uh, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. So they've really got a good view of what they're getting themselves into, right? Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. God patiently deals with faltering faith. He is so patient. He sets this whole thing up. Out of all of the hundreds of thousands, is this one place he goes and he hears them saying everything he needs to hear. They're even, they're even saying his name. They're even saying it's a suicide. So, so I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how that they would know who's, who's going up with this, but they, they hear that. And he's greatly encouraged. It's, the thing that reminds me is that you know, a lot of times when we're in the enemy camp, we have a sense that they're so big and that they're so intimidating and that they're so strong. And God puts us in a situation where we really hear what's going on in here. Satan wants that, that visual, that visual of these, these guys are invincible, invincible. He, he wants that because that's what keeps us in fear. And God gives us that, and he gives us this opportunities all the time. If we really listen, if we really take in to heart what God is saying to us, we could be in the enemy's camp, and he could be whispering to us, and we have, wow, <laughs> they're actually afraid of us, okay? A little barley loaf, <laughs> this big, this big rolling in. It's not, I'm not talking about a big loaf. I'm talking, you know, these little barley loaves are not very big. Rolling into the camp, and... Knocking, there, knocking all the tents down. Ah, that's got to be what it is. And they, they're just, they're in a lot more fear than we're led to believe, right? And I think 
That could be the case around us right now. Okay. Okay. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. I was thinking of that last song, Roger, that you did, and some of the words that were in that. I mean, those could have been some of the things he was saying. Yes. You know, you, you've done all this for me. You've done all this for us. When he, he said, get up, he got to back to the camp. Get up, for the Lord has given you victory. Oh, he is on this next island now. He is over here. He sees it. He sees what God is doing. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Doesn't say very much about weapons, does it? Could have been some handheld weapons of some type, but that wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't, you only have two hands, and they're saying one's got to hold a trumpet and one's got to hold a lantern, lantern. and, uh, you know, there's just not a whole lot of, to work with that. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. It is... These types of things with the rams and blowing the trumpets is usually, that signals, that's the front line that signals you've got thousands and thousands of people behind you. So when 300 of them are doing that, they're thinking 300,000, maybe. (laughs) They have no idea. I mean, it's just it, the chaos that, that it caused was an incredible thing. And so they're looking around, and they're seeing, <laughs> they're seeing all this going on, and they go, okay, let's go. <laughs> and so, so they go, and, and, they, and the rest of the chapter talks about that, how they, you know, they, how they chase them down, and they do this, that, and the other thing. They do that. So we've got some more points here I want us to look at as we get towards the end of our time. The next one. Uh, God uses obedience and faith. Is that that one there? Yes. God uses obedience and faith, not strength or talent, to accomplish his purposes. If you've got strength and talent, beautiful, because God created you that way, and God wants to use that. But if you're saying to yourself, I don't have this, I have to wait until I get this, could be waiting a long time. Success means joining Jesus wherever he is. Success was not going to come with them, with their 32,000 and going after them and doing that. That's not where Jesus was. That's not where God was. He was, he was in a very different place because he was trying to develop something very different. Something more powerful. Which is what he did. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When we are in this nothing, we're the nothing box. (laughs) We're the nothing box because we don't have anything to bring. And when we have that, 
when we have that mental thought in our heads that we are not bringing anything to the fight, then we can be used. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, Jesus plus 0.11% us, if we wanted to give us something, could equal everything. But God, because, because he is everything. So it's, it's just this, this mindset of this is not what I'm bringing to the table. It's not everything about me that I'm bringing to the table that, I can use, that God can use. It's that I'm going to make myself available so that he can take whatever I am and be used for his purposes. This had to be an incredibly powerful demonstration of the power of God. What happened with this? Gideon was one of the human deliverers that prepared the way for the ultimate deliverer. This ultimate deliverer, Jesus, who conquered sin and death through trust in his Father and humility, and of course, as well as power through the resurrection. He had, because he's God, he has both. But Jesus had to humble himself through his whole ministry to the point where he could be used on the cross. That conquered sin and death. He was, Jesus was the insignificant barley loaf. He was not, uh, you know, he was despised and rejected of men. He is the insignificant barley loaf that went into the enemy's camp and knocked it down. That's who he is. That's who we give our lives to. It's who we trust. We can't put our trust in men because men will always fail us. So when men fail us, we have to take a step back and we have to go, okay, I get that. Who can I put my trust in? I have to put my trust in God because he is the one that will not fail. If we follow him where he is and and we allow ourselves to work through him and what he's doing. So I want us to think about as we go through this time of um, reflection that you would think about what is God, reflect on this. Are you right now in a posture of humility, dependence, and obedience? That's where Gideon had to go from there to get to there. It was all about a posture of humility, Dependence and obedience. Humility, knowing that um, it is God that is going to work through this and not me. I'm going to put God up here. I'm going to put myself down here. I'm not going to put any kind of this. It's right like this. Okay. Dependence. 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Dependence. And Obedience. Take, take from here, I want you to tear down that altar because that's an abomination to me. 
and you people have been doing this for too long. I want you to tear it down. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care what kind of repercussions you think are going to come on you. I want you to tear it down. And I want you to build me an altar. Take the wood from this desecrated thing. Burn it and make it, and make it right with me. Make it right. He did it. A step of obedience. And it carried him over here. Okay. You've got all these people with you. They think you're Gideon, Jerubal, <laughs> kick, kick, Jeru- kick Baal's tail, right? Okay? You're gonna, you gotta, you gotta, that's not how you're going to win this. You've got to get rid of these people, and you come down, and you're going to be over here, and you're going to watch me take care of these people that have been tormenting you for years. I'm going to do it. Obedience. So right now, our posture of humility, dependence, and obedience, we come to this time, and we, and we focus on that. Fears. If we've got fears in our life, God wants us to go into that mode of thinking, to say, I'm really afraid about this, God. I don't know what to do. Something's happening in my life that is really causing me. And it could be a lot of different things. This is a time of... of um, distress right now that we've been going through for a long, for quite a while now and it's causing fear in our lives and that's and that's what causes the other things too you got the anger coming out that but fear is at the root of that we're afraid of what is happening what's going to happen what think what could possibly happen bring it bring it to the altar bring it to god's altar and say god i don't get I don't get what this is, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to take this little bit of, this little tiny sliver of trust that I have in you about this situation, and you're going to expand it, and you're going to grow it, and you're going to honor it. God loves that. He loves us when we do that. He can use us so incredibly well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what we learned today. Thank you that you have given me experiences through my life that, that uh, show me your uh, care in the midst of my fear. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see you working your will in the midst of this seeming chaos and and. and um, you know, this discomfort that we're in. I pray, Father, that you will, you will touch us with your spirit, that as we, as we go into our week coming up, that we can see the things around us, hear the things that are happening, and say, God, I trust you. I trust you to make, to help me see everything as it is, to see everything through your eyes. And Father, we pray for the rest of our morning this morning that you would give us uh, a peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.